Hello, and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? How have you been? Recovering from a long weekend of babysitting grandchildren, uh, but ready to get back to the back to the grind. Kirby, uh, we should report that has a new setup in his uh, recording studio, uh, and uh, we welcome comments, uh, positive or negative, about the relative quality of his dulcet tones. <laughs> Kirby, let's uh, let's get into it. Sometimes you get the feeling like more happens in the off season than happened during the season. Unfortunately, it's really a positive, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess the best place to start would be with something um, IndyCar related, wouldn't you say, Curb? For a change, yeah, that'd be great. There was a, a bit of a controversy, a bit of a hornet's nest stirred uh, after Laguna Seca uh, around uh, the Argentinian Canopito and uh, Calamilot. The gist of it goes something like this, Curb, correct me if I'm wrong, Ilot made a move around Canapino for position. Um, as so many people did in that race, there was contact made that uh, jiggered up uh, Canapino's front wing. He had to soldier on with the race uh, and just drop back like a stone when he was looking like he was, you know, destined for a top five finish, right? Which would have been huge for him and apparently for the entire country of Argentina, <laughs> who subsequently... Uh, jumped on uh, Ilot with anywhere from you're this and that to I'm literally going to kill you. Now, that, believe it or not, is not the interesting part. The interesting part is that the reaction from the team, who's owned by Argentinian, co-owned by Argentinian Ricardo Juncos, kind of takes a very tepid response to this on Ilot's behalf, like, not really saying, hey, stop it or whatever, and and really kind of saying, hey, you shouldn't give death threats to one of our drivers, which if you're ILAT, you're sitting there like, here's my team owner kind of agreeing with the Argentinians that want to murder me, right? Right. Um, because I took out his Artin, uh, Argentinian driver, which anybody who looks at the film over any length of time would realize that, that, that it was Canapino who's – slid into ILOT, not the other way around. The only the only thing you can say negative about ILOT's pass is that should he have been doing that on a teammate? Okay. Where there's some team orders that say don't pass your teammate. And and clearly I, I think reading between the lines of all this, that got up Ricardo's Hunkos knows that ILOT even attempted the pass because you know he wanted and probably needed uh Canapino to have a good result there. You know, trying to be as objective as I can here, it's pretty hard to blame ILOT for it. As far as what happened on track, I agree. I still haven't gotten to the interesting part yet, all right? Which no, was Hunkos's uh, initial comments about it. Not, I'm not talking about after a couple of days of contemplation and probably some badgering from IndyCar and others. Yeah. Yes, right. yeah, right. But I'm talking about his initial, and he's like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you need to understand, or he should understand that these Argentinian fans are passionate. And, you know, he shouldn't take any consideration of the fact that they're calling for his murder. You know, that's just the way we are. You know, we're we're rabid fans and we're you know, we're we're enthusiastic and we sometimes say things that that you really shouldn't take personally, like death threats, like death threats. Now, 
I actually believe that R- Ricardo Junco's legitimately believes that. And I'll go a step further. It could even very well be the case. Okay. Uh, it could, but Ilot is British. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kerb. I think so. Right. Uh, there's still parts of Argentina that have not forgotten the Falklands. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Right. And it remind me, and I know, Kerb, you don't watch a lot, but the old uh, Top Gear, the old UK Top Gear shows, which are amongst my favorite television anywhere, okay? There was um, an episode where they went to Argentina, and they're plowing through there, and it got reported in a newspaper that one of their license plates that they were riding in the cars they were driving around was in some way a uh, an affront to the Falkland veterans or something like that, right? And those guys – The, the Argentine veterans, you mean? Yeah, the Argentine Falkland veterans, right? Okay, right. And, and those guys literally, they got out there at, by the skin of their teeth, like under a cover of night – and just they they barely got the crew out. Their their cars were being bombarded with rocks and stuff. People were throwing stuff. I mean, people were after them. I mean, no joke. I hear what Ricardo Junco's is saying, but it's it seems a little tone deaf to say, "Hey, don't take that personally." What say you, Curb? I think Junco's motivated by the leader circle money. It seemed clear to me that he had told Ilot to protect Canapino in every way possible which I think includes, in his mind, I think included staying behind him and not letting any faster cars, you know, get into contact with Canapino. He was in position to rise from, I think, two places out of the leader circle and into the leader circle money at that point. And I think Junkos, you know, was motivated to achieve that leader circle and, and that money. He, he tells Ilot, protect him, don't let anybody get past him. And what does Ilot do? Off a restart, he goes and and passes him. <laughs> and granted, he gave him plenty of room to make sure he didn't hit him, but uh, I don't think that was what Hunkos had in mind. And I think he was unhappy about it. He watched his car sink like a rock. Fortunately for him and Canapino, he still placed well enough to 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 squeak by and make it into the leader circle. But he was watching a million dollars disappear lap after lap. And I think he was, I think he was probably agreeing with his Argentine compatriots because he was just unhappy with Ilot is the way I interpreted the whole thing. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I'll accept that too. I think that that's probably in there. I, I guess I'm just looking at more from the Argentinian angle, the fact that they're trying to get a race on down there, the fact that he's trying to raise money for Canapino to campaign next year. You know, I, I think there's just a lot of that in there as well. Uh, I think he was trying to make a half-hearted effort to support Ilot and to uh, make excuses for his compatriots and not because in my opinion, I think he was upset with Ilot for not following instructions. I, it, well, yeah, I think that's pretty clear. It must be a little frosty over there at the moment, uh, even though we are headed into uh, Argentinian summer. <laughs> yeah. Lucas has an, an asset on his hands, and if he were so inclined, I bet that's a contract he could sell. So. Yeah, Ilot, um, you mean. Ilot. Yeah. Crip, can I switch topics? Kiffin? 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 Kiffin Simpson? Kiffin Simpson. Uh, somewhat shockingly, uh, although many people claim to knew it was all in the cards, gets in a fifth Chip Ganassi racing car. 
what was he tenth and in Indy next? And I know he did some sports cars and may have missed a race or two, but right. he wasn't he wasn't lighting it up. Let's put it that way. So my immediate reaction is when I see something like this, where you know Ganassi's putting on a fifth car. Let's I mean number five, and and it's Chip. <laughs> my, my immediate reaction is who's dad? Yeah. In Kiffin's case, it almost starts with who's grandpa. Mr. Simpson has a lot of uh, various holdings. He lives in uh, what Cayman Islands or uh, one of those type of places. Let's put it that way. Right. But the most interesting holding, or at least he's on the board and I think he has a piece of it or whatever, I found was God TV. Was what? God TV. Okay. So, so then, I mean, it's amazing how I while away a day sometimes, Curb. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought I went down rabbit holes some days, but I guess. You... But on my second screen at my work, I I flipped on God TV. Just wanted to see what that was all about. And God TV is much like you may or may not expect it to be. Some guy up there preaching. Uh, a bunch of people in the audience um, saying, oh, yeah, hallelujah, right? Right. And then uh, intermittent ads uh, for Preacher and his said tchotchkes and donations that can be made to various places. Gotcha. Apparently, there's a fair amount of money in God TV. Isn't it probably surprisingly lucrative, huh? I was wondering how that jives with, like, God TV, at least in part, funding a fifth car at CGR. Well, the way things are going, that might be uh, IndyCar's uh, media outlet in 2025. Can I say the uh, great point? They're the CW. That's right. (laughs) I will say this much for the preacher on God TV. He was eloquent. (laughs) They usually are. I mean, you and I are, at this point, professional podcasters and we stutter a bit and we throw some ums in there and all those you know non sequiturs and so forth. But these guys are good. They got it down. They don't do any of that. They clearly went to Toastmasters and perfected their craft. So hats off to them there. They have to be that good to survive or to thrive or whatever you want to call it. That's true. I mean, I imagine that business is competitive as any. Probably as competitive sure. as the IndyCar series, Gerb. Yeah, yeah, to get to get to get time on there and. And uh, get the the audience and all that. It's probably as competitive as uh, as it gets. Well, you know, they put forth a charitable explanation here in recent days that uh, he may not have been focused on Indy Next totally, but he has gone for diverse experience and sports cars all around the world, where you have to worry about managing tires and you get to practice making pit stops and all those kind of things, which you wouldn't get to do in Indy Next. So maybe he's taken the the better route to uh, Indy Car than. Than those that are slaves to the uh, road to Indy. Hmm. That's well, an interesting view. Curb, someone who's not lacked experience in our world and hasn't really been a feature on our show for some time, but has blasted her way back into our consciousness, Danica Patrick. So for the benefit of our fans, because they've, I really feel like they've done a pretty good job burying this story uh, Danica's people have. Martin Schuch, Jr., uh, NASCAR driver mm-hmm. had a girlfriend, long-time girlfriend. His girlfriend, uh, fine-looking woman, as you might expect, 
had uh, had cancer and uh, she died a couple weeks ago uh, with ovarian cancer. Yeah, look, Kirk, you and I are not sit here and we're not going to judge people's relationship because that might force us to judge our own, right? <laughs> and who wants to do that? The point is, they broke up in January. She died uh, a couple weeks ago. Time state this, uh, you know, a week or two ago. Let's uh, mid mid September. Okay. And Truex puts out this statement. Here's the statement he made. Okay, when when she died. From the very minute of her diagnosis, Sherry's determined not only to fight ovarian cancer with everything she had, but also to make a difference in the lives of others battling this terrible disease. Sherry's passion for for making a difference in the lives of others was inspiring to everyone through her tireless charity work and so many years her legacy will live well beyond our lifetimes and continue to help their countless families who are battling ovarian and childhood cancer okay mm-hmm. i know she had cancer and all that but this is his ex-girlfriend right something happened oh i'm sorry i missed a bit i'd like to extend our deepest condolences to her entire family who have shown Incredible strength and resilience through her battle. Okay, that's that was his statement. Danica, for some reason, feels the need that she needs to chime in on this. Danica writes on X, I avoid negativity on social at almost all costs, almost. But this is the most insensitive, disconnected statement from a guy I've never liked. And obviously for good reason. I don't care what happened between them, but this is as cold as it gets. A PR rep wrote this guaranteed. You're free from this now, Sherry. End quote. What would possess a woman to, a famous woman, to do this, Curb? I think I can say with a fair amount of confidence, Danica does not like Martin Truex Jr. She but, said it in black and white, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, God, that's the one part I could say. I don't know if she had any kind of a friendship or relationship with um the lady that passed away. Oh. Uh, maybe she did, and maybe she has some insight into the relationship that um, made this more personal to Danica than it might have otherwise been. My mind can go to even darker places, but I'm not gonna, not gonna, to uh, spend time on you, that now. I wish but, you would. Um, she's not wrong. That's clearly uh, written by anybody in NASCAR could have written that statement or release. Uh, it does not seem. Like the kind of release somebody that had been with her for 18 years and been with her through eight years, it sounded like, if I remember correctly, something like eight years of her battle with cancer. Um, There's lacking entirely in any kind of warmth from uh, somebody who had been in that kind of relationship with her. So I, I got I say I'm, I'm, I'm uh, blown away by your views on this curb. Blown away. Well, because t- I didn't find his statement to be anything offensive in any way. Anybody in NASCAR, it's not offensive, but it you would expect his... What was he supposed to say? I loved her? I mean, they broke up. I mean, clearly something happened between the two of them that, you know, they're no longer together after 18 years. So things are pretty significant when you break up after 18 years. Sure, a lot of people think negatively of somebody that would initiate a breakup in that kind of circumstance. Well, I, maybe, okay, maybe that. Now we're, now we're speculating things that, that we have no idea. Right. And I'm not getting to that. My, my point is I'm just, I'm speculating what my Danica Patrick might be upset about. I am saying that that statement could have come from you or me, much less somebody that had spent 18 years with her. The point is, you, I, even, I think, even if you don't believe it, you say she was a wonderful person. That was a 
big part of my life and a big part of our NASCAR family, and she's going to be missed by everybody. How hard is that to say, even if you don't believe it, because you're pissed because you broke up or you have hard feelings from a breakup? Okay, well, I, uh, you know, clearly you're ang- you got an angle in this somehow. I, uh, you know, you you are on the Danica side clearly. From Adam, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about your relationship. Has, has your wife uh, investigated your thoughts on Danica lately? Because I'm starting to smell I, something. I usually I usually suffer in my <laughs> internal in my household here when the subject of Danica comes up. So, so no, start- I've stayed away from that one. I'm starting to smell something because <clears throat> this defense of Danica is is out of hand. It's out of hand. You know, as a consequence, she's she's been let go by Sky Sports Racing. For a start, the director of strategy for Sky Sports, a Mr. Mr. Jonathan Light, had this to say about the departure of Patrick. We believe it is in the best interest of Sky Sports Racing and all of our affiliates to distance ourselves from ones who hold qualities of narcissism and apathy. You talk about cold. That's pretty cold. <laughs> but it's personal, see? There's, it's, <laughs> that, was, that was not a corporate PR statement. That was a personal dig and um, and uh, slap on the back of the head on your way out the door. How much you want to bet that he's had a few run-ins with our, our Danica, this this gentleman? And was he, was just ready for, he was ready for any excuse. Relishing and he, and this opportunity. Yeah, and he got it. Well, what is NBC's uh, stance on this? Do you know? Uh, my guess is, like I said, her PR people have clearly done a pretty good job wiping this off the front pages. If I had to guess, they're just going to wait and see here a little bit. Curb, the schedule came out today, uh, September 25th, for the IndyCar schedule I'm talking about. Of course. My observations of it are this, is that you still have a big hole in the schedule early in the season, even with thermal. you still got a month. Uh, there early in the season where there's nothing going on. You lost taxes, uh, which is unfortunate. And by losing a Texas, I think you have shown IndyCar's place in the world vis-a-vis NASCAR because they basically said it's gonna we'll take that date and you guys will lose a race. So those are kind of the negatives, I guess. The positives. They, they did manage to put in some night races in St. Louis and Iowa, which is huge, and Milwaukee's back, which is nice. I don't know if that's huge, but it's nice. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Um, what say you? I'd say there's a lot more bad than good. The track owner at uh, Texas Motor Speedway requested the move of the uh, NASCAR race because they only have one now instead of the two they had for a long time, and they didn't want to compete with – football in texas in september and so they asked to move the nascar race to the spring and apparently we're more than happy to surrender indycar's date i have a hard time believing that if texas motor speedway cared if indycar showed up at all that they couldn't have found a date between you know st petersburg and somewhere you know in march before the nascar race which is what april 14th or something Without Eddie Gossage at Texas, I don't think anybody there cares anymore. I don't, you know, they apparently had a multi-year contract even. So that contract, so. that contract must have been written by Palau's lawyers. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or, or maybe IndyCar, or maybe Texas Motor Speedway asked Palau to interpret the contract anyway, because uh, um, they obviously have pulled out. Um, as you have uh, mocked uh, Miles and and uh, even Roger Penske, saying everything is great. 
nothing to see here. We're just getting better and better all the time. They come out on Laguna Seca weekend. They brag about filling the hole in March with uh, with this thing at uh, Thermal Club. And two weeks later, they still have a month off, as you say. Only it's in April now instead of March. It was already going to be a screwy year anyway because of the Olympics and, and NBC's involvement there. And it's just gotten screwy, more screwy. They've gone from 13 races on NBC this year to nine next year. Um all these big TV numbers they've been um, bragging about are on the backs of those 13 NBC races. So any sponsor worth his salt is going to ask, well, how am I going to get these great ratings this year when you're only on big NBC nine times instead of 13? You're going to go to Milwaukee where you, you have failed multiple times in the last 20 years. And you're going to ask them to show up not once but twice on the one weekend. Now, I think that the second race in Milwaukee is probably a Hail Mary that they got when they figured out they couldn't go to Texas. So they could stay at 17 races and they could say they still got oval, so many oval tracks on the schedule. The fact that it's on Peacock only um, makes it even more likely, in my opinion, that that's what happened. NBC said, well, we're going to make time for you, um, but here, we'll, we'll let you show it on Peacock. The schedule is really concerning to me and what it might mean for the future. I mean, it's going to be bad enough in 24. How will that affect their um, TV negotiations um, after the NBC contract expires in 24? Does this say anything about NBC's commitment to IndyCar going from 13 races on NBC down to nine? I think those are all legitimate concerns that ought to be troubling everybody. I don't know what the metrics are that Mark Miles talks about. They're just going up and up all the time because I have a hard time seeing what they could be, and I think I don't think you disagree. No, uh, I, I think both him and Penske gave the uh, everything is awesome speeches, um, and I think we kind of yeah rolled our eyes a little bit at the time uh, when they gave them. But what this schedule is saying about the relative strength of uh, of IndyCar is palpable, right? Um, yeah. And uh, for all the reasons you just uh, eloquently outlined, if you want to, you want to look positive at it. I, I just hope that uh, Miles and uh, Roger Penske aren't kind of reading their own press releases here and, and realize that hey, this is like so many other things. It's kind of a call to arms here that it shows that the the health is not. It, it maybe it's uh, far healthier than it was a few years ago, but this is not mission accomplished in any sense of the word. I heard somebody say that the Thermal Club thing came about because NBC called them and said, hey, we got a couple hours to fill on this you know, this given weekend in March. If you guys got a race, we'll put it on. And, um, you know, so if that's true, NBC is the one that put that, you know, <laughs> initiated that and brought it together more so than, than you know, IndyCar or, or some sponsor or promoter that was just dying to put an IndyCar race on somewhere. So how are you going to sell to a sponsor of a caliber of a high V or, or whomever in Milwaukee, when you got one race, it's on Peacock only. And the second race is on USA network. I mean, you're going in with one arm tied behind your back, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, doing two races, there is, uh, it does seem a little crazy and it seems like they would have been better off just having a 16 race season. A couple other just window dressings around this, um, that, Really don't need a lot of comment, but it's interesting. Uh, NASCAR is no longer going to go to Road America, even with their junior series. 
Um, so that that kind of came and went. That was interesting. But they, uh, ironically, after you know what by all accounts was a piss poor race last year, they're staying with the L.A. Coliseum deal. Well, it's unique. It's in the middle of winter. Gets them lots of eyeballs and lots of attention and lots of stories. And I think they are talking about a no points paying race in Argentina. That's obviously still not a done deal yet. And they may do it. And I, I think you and I have not been real happy with the fact that it's not a points paying race. Uh, Mario Andretti, of all people, is pretty eloquent about like there's no point in doing a non points paying race. That's just stupid. Well, I think Bobby Rahal was right there with him, wasn't he? Yeah. And uh, um, so we have uh, good company there and agreements on that. Yeah, um, say the same thing for thermal. I mean, I don't, don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the point is. And you know, you kind of chided me last time and told me I should um, be more positive about it because they're trying something different. And I guess that's true. The traffic on the racetrack that creates interest level during a race. And you're going to have a race with 12 cars on it, on a two-plus-mile track. And it just seems like you get to be very uh, boring very quickly. Curb uh, SRX uh, has a partnership with iRacing, and IndyCar has nothing. Yes, right. Just a little little update there for you. Yeah. How important do you think the engine manufacturer championship is to Honda and Chevy? I, I, it's it's actually an interesting question, Curb. And, and, the, and the short answer is I don't know. Well, I'm wondering if I did a little research, and I'm wondering if Honda sacrifices reliability and their ability to win that championship by tuning their engines a little higher, prioritizing race winning over you know, being the engine manufacturer champion over the course of a season. And well, let, let me put it this way. I think that's insightful. That's exactly what I would do. So, you know, I, I think I mentioned that Honda was way ahead, um, you know, with like four or five races to go in that engine manufacturer championship. Chevy closed at the end because Honda's lead drivers all maxed out their engine allotments and were therefore no longer allowed to count in the points towards the engine manufacturer championship. Um so on the season, Honda had eight cars went over the four engine allotment. Chevy only had five. Actually used or two driver two entries that actually used six engines. Chevy had one. Every race winner, except for Marcus Erickson, exceeded the four engine allotment during the year. McLaren had zero extra engines. And so meaning no driver on McLaren's team used more than four engines over the course of the season. And, of course, they had zero wins. 13 out of 27 cars were over the engine limit, and those 13 accounted for 16 of the 17 wins during the season. So it seems like if you didn't win a race, you weren't trying very hard with your engine. You weren't stressing your engines out. You know, you'd rather have won the Indy 500 during the season than be the engine manufacturer champion, I'm sure, at the end. Supposedly, the engine manufacturers and the series um, arrived at these rules together to uh, promote reliability over, you know, top-end performance. And it looks to me like Honda in particular decided that we'd still rather win the races than <laughs> than win this engine championship. So I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think you're probably on to something. Curb, um, I need to say something here. Okay. Sounds important. It kind of is. It's kind of an apology to 
everything bad I've said about every indie car driver these last four years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you why. I, as you know, I I took delivery of a new race car last week, and I took delivery at Sears Point, Sonoma, a former indie car track. And this car was is exceedingly capable. Let's put it that way. Far more capable than its driver. Right. And the speeds and the braking and the cornering speeds and and the uh, the intense uh, activity in the cockpit that was required to drive this thing anywhere close to a limit was just jaw dropping to me. I mean, I, it was it was incredible. And then I'm actually very happy with how I performed. I felt like you know I really did. I I, I had a long time. I you know. And this is very rare in any kind of track day or anything like this. I had a ton of time in the cockpit and uh, a lot of a lot of coaching and pit crew, and it was very helpful. I mean, to have all those uh, tools at my at my disposal made it, you know, it kept me from killing myself at that track, which has a couple of opportunities. There's a couple of opportunities at the track to do so. Trust me. So, I it was sensory overload, uh, kind of from beginning to end, and just. Uh, and and even though things were kind of slowing down for me towards the end of the day, uh, I still found myself with the thought that I can't even imagine being in an indie car around here, which is you know, substantially faster than what even I was in, and with 20 other cars on the track. It was it was a it was a thought that was you're almost incapable of thinking about. It was that crazy. And so even if you're you know pick one. Hiro Masashita or Dalton Kellett or something like that, they still have a lot of skill. Not Maybe not relative to their peers, but it, they still have a lot of guts and a lot of skill. And Even, even Tatiana Calderon? Uh, let's not go too far, Curb. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get me to hesitate a little bit more before I just jump into criticism of drivers in the future. Well, it sounds like it was a very cool experience, and um, I'm sure it gives you some amount of insight or something. Some amount of empathy for what those guys are dealing with. It didn't happen, and I need to make this point. It didn't happen when I was in other fast cars, right? It didn't happen in a supercar I was in, for example. It only happened when I got in this car, which was far more akin to what an open wheel. It had it had downforce, it, was, and it had it had lightness, and it had horsepower. And it wasn't until I got into that particular vehicle that I had this appreciation. Before then, I don't think it was there. Well, I mean, I know that you've done um, a few follow-along type of track days where you were in maybe a downforce car. But um, when you mention supercars or things like that, those those are not downforce cars, right? No. You know, we're talking, you know, uh, pretty, we're talking McLarens. We're talking, you know, pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward gear shift. You know, uh, clutch pedal, brake pedal, steering wheel, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, but the cars, relatively speaking, are still heavy, you know, relatively speaking heavy, you know. I, I know, and, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you are you make it sound like the car you're in most recently had tools, like like you'd hear about an Indy car, that you, you got you, you to be going fast enough for the downforce to, to do its job. You um, had tools and those kind of things, which are extra fast yep. to deal with that you didn't have in a a Miata or a Corvette or a supercar or whatever, right? Right. And uh, you also had a a track with a lot of interesting 
features to it. This is a whole different animal than what you are talking about in these other, you know, these other experiences. So I guess where I'm going with this is that I would think the number of people that have had like the experience I uh, I had last week is very minimal, right? Even the guys who went out and did like track days, you know, an F3 car or something like that, um, you know, and think they've seen it or they rode side in the side of a Ferrari with somebody who can really drive it kind of thing. And they think they've seen it and felt it and, or even rode in the back of, of Mario Andretti, you know, in the two seater. Okay. What I'm telling you is I don't think any of those things came anywhere close to what these guys are actually doing. And then when I finally got to something where I think I, I'm not in any way claiming that this was the exact experience that they have. In fact, I'm, I'm marveling that it isn't. When I finally got close, that close to it, then I mean, the, the my appreciation just grew phenomenally. And the other thing I'll say is that I'm really fired up to do more in that car. I mean, it was, it was exciting. It was, it was great. And I can't wait to, to receive it, which I will be receiving here uh, in my hometown soon. And I, I can't wait to get in and drive it again. Cause it's, it is amazing. Sounds like a great experience. Curve uh, run out of time. It looks like Askew versus Rasmussen at ECR. Do you agree with that? Oh, is it here in a week or two? Yep, it's coming up. The test. Um, who's uh, who do you predict to win that uh, battle? Well, I would like to see uh, ask you get another opportunity, uh, which means that Rasmussen will probably win the battle. Not to mention that Rasmussen's got what is it, eight or nine hundred thousand dollars in his back pocket um, as the champion of uh, Indy Next. I agree with that. I think Rasmussen wins that one. Askew's really going to have to distinguish himself in some way there. And I just, he's been out of the car for so long and, you know, he's no longer the young pup, you know, it's, it's a, it's a brutal business that way. It also looks like at this point, I would say Grosjean's chances seem very limited now, wouldn't you say? Yeah. There were people talking about Carpenter as a possibility for him. Uh, That obviously is not going to happen. Dale Coyne may be the only shot he has left. Yeah. And and he's, is he willing to work that cheap? Stay in. I get the feeling he'd like to stay in IndyCar longer, so we'll see what uh, how motivated he is. Well, uh, if if this is the end for him, it was a, certainly was an interesting experiment. If this is the end, I I fear that it'll only confirm the reputation he came with from Formula One, and uh, that's I'm sure he wanted to get a win or two and 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 be uh, considered among the the top IndyCar drivers to. To finish out his career, and if it ends like this, then he'll have certainly fallen short. Did you watch any of the F1 race in Japan? I did not. Total snoozer again. I mean, Verstappen just running away with it. The race itself was a snoozer? Oh. You know, a point's been made, and I think it might actually be true, that if you took Verstappen out of the picture this year, F1 might have been super interesting. That uh, Tim Haraney guy that does, I don't know what he does. He's on ESPN, I think, um, analyzing Formula One or something. And I follow him on Twitter. And, I mean, he made it sound like it was a really exciting race. Oh, my God. That's just ridiculous. uh, You know what? McLaren got two cars on the podium? Yeah, maybe if you're a big McLaren fan, that's exciting. But, I I mean, how anybody could call that exciting? It's stunning. I'm just saying that. 
the point the point has been made that like you take Verstappen out, it actually you would have had multiple drivers, manufacturers kind of all in the mix. Um, and that's probably true. So it is interesting. I mean, Max Verstappen has been so outstanding that uh, it's kind of just put a hurt on the uh, product. I, I think that's entirely possible. Um, like I said, I haven't watched a race, but or I'm sorry, I watched six laps of one of the races. But um, just following along on Twitter, it seems like there's been a heavy rotation of drivers behind Verstappen in terms of podiums and that kind of thing. Yeah, Perez uh, was absolutely terrible in Japan again. So after yeah. he's after he's gotten the uh, you know, new statement of support from from uh, Red Bull, <laughs> the helmet Marco, he's uh, we compared him to Bernie, and he's getting closer and closer. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, Curb, uh, out of time. Anything you want to throw in quickly? No, not really. Good. Certainly not quickly. So. <laughs> Good. So we've yented on long enough. I think the, the whole Danica thing brought us down. Yeah, you might want to excise that from the show. <laughs> I was so excited to talk about it, and you just blew me away with your views on it. I couldn't believe it. Uh, what's your X handle? At Hero, H-I-R-O, IndyCar. At Hero, IndyCar. And any sponsors for our off-season shows? No, no, <laughs> no, no sponsors for our off-season show. And um, it might be a, a couple few weeks before we put out another pile of garbage for people to listen to. Well, Good night, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around and listening to all that. Have a good uh, couple of weeks till we uh, reconvene.